Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the book of 1 Samuel by looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, follow along while I read beginning in verse 1. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flock and you shall be slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Throughout Scripture, we see stories where people reject God's provision, and this is another one of those stories. We have Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Samuel, who have rejected what God has provided them and have gone after bribes and gain, making money off of their judgments and have become corrupt. They've actually rebelled against God. But Israel as a nation is also rejecting God's provision. They have come to Samuel and they've asked for a king. And it's not so much that they're in active rebellion against God as it is that they want God plus more. 
They're not content with just God and what he's provided. They want even more. They want a king. And so God tells Samuel not to be upset because they've not rejected Samuel. They did reject his sons, but ultimately they've rejected God as king, and they want a different kind of king. And so God tells Samuel to warn them about the problems that will come from seeking the situation that they want. God lets them know, and by extension us, that not being content with what God has provided can lead to trouble. Chasing the circumstance that we want actually takes more work than dealing with the circumstance we have. Look at what Israel is in store for here. To have a king, they're going to have to totally change their way of life and the way they allocate their time and resources. They are going to lose the use of their sons and daughters and their servants because they'll be in the king's service. They're going to have to work harder to have less. And ultimately, as things progress, they'll find themselves basically enslaved by this king. In the same way, our own selfish indulgence can ultimately enslave us. In contrast to Israel here, I think about Paul in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. He wrote, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That is an amazing statement because I know contentment is something that many of us may struggle with. But to live a life with God, the way he's called us to live it, we must learn the secret of being content. And I think there are some elements in this story that could help us learn the secret of being content. First of all, like Israel, we need to desire to be godly. Here in this circumstance, Israel is wanting a king, and they're wanting it on their terms. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God had actually made provision for Israel to have a king when they entered the promised land. But he told them exactly how he wanted them to go about that and the type of person that he wanted them to anoint as king over them. But they didn't listen to that. They didn't pay attention, may not have even been aware of what God had said. But they weren't desiring to figure out what God wanted and how God would want this to be done. They had determined the situation they wanted, and they thought they had figured the best solution for that. When the Apostle Paul writes to a young man named Timothy in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, he tells Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. A desire to be godly, letting God purify you, cleanse you, make you more holy, and being content with that and the things that he provides actually provides a better life than anything that we can come up with on our own. He goes on from there to talk about the foolishness of desiring to be rich and falling into the temptation of that rather than being content with what God has provided. We're often convinced that we need God plus a lot of money, or we need God plus a lot of possessions, God plus a situation at work that gives us more power and control, or a relationship that provides us some type of feeling that we want. But what God has said is what he gives is enough. So that leads to the next thing. We have to desire godliness. We have to want that more than anything. And then we have to trust what God says. God had laid out the circumstances in which they would benefit from a king, but this was not it. 
They were not listening to what God said, and they weren't trusting him enough to do it his way. And because of that, God lets them know it's not going to work out well. Things are going to be bad. Not that God was punishing them for their choice, but because they had made a bad choice with the wrong motives, it would lead to bad things. So it becomes very important that we listen to God and we trust him. God has told us that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. What God gives us is what we need to make the most of this life and to achieve the godliness that we say we want. We have to be content with that and not expect God to add other things to it because the very things that we want could actually contaminate that godliness or lead us astray. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the writer there says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do we trust what God has said? Do we want to be a godly people, and do we trust his way of achieving that? It's important that we understand those questions and what it means, because, again, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we're going to be content, we have to desire more than anything, at all costs, to be godly. And then we have to trust God to shape us and form us into those beings. We also see in the story that relationships are important. This is not something that's going to happen all on our own. We see Joel and Abijah here, who are the sons of Samuel, and they've turned away from the things that Samuel had taught them and the things that they had seen Samuel do. They had removed themselves from the town that they grew up in and moved off to a place where they could get away with the things they were doing. That's in sharp contrast to Hannah, the mother of Samuel, who was willing to give up everything to make sure that her son was in the right place to learn the right things, to have a healthy relationship with God and with Eli and even with her, a relationship that helped Samuel grow up to be the great man of God that he became. When we don't surround ourselves with spiritual people who have the same goal for their lives and for ours, it's easy to get sidetracked and derailed from what's important. And in those relationships, we need to understand our responsibility and be willing to give of ourselves to others. We don't enter into relationships just to receive what we want, but it's in giving others what they need that we grow and develop into the people that God wants us to be. We come to understand contentment better, and experience the best life that we possibly can. Even our relationships to the things that we want, whether they are things or people in our lives, are important. See, Israel wanted a king that would serve them, not a king that would help them serve God. And because they didn't understand what a healthy relationship with a king would look like and how that could benefit them in their walk with God— they ended up experiencing all the misery that God foresaw. So if we ever hope to learn the secret of being content, we need to desire to be godly above everything. Trust what God says in the midst of that, 
and have good, strong, healthy spiritual relationships. But we also need to stop comparison shopping. Comparisons to others are seldom fruitful. Here in this story, Israel repeats multiple times their desire to be like the nations around them. They look at the other nations and think somehow that those folks had it better than they did, and that the key to that success was having a king. They had compared themselves in wrong ways to their neighbors and decided that they wanted what they had. The problem was they didn't accurately read the cost and the benefits of having a king. And in the same way, we are very often guilty of comparing our lives to others. And very often, we're just as bad at it as Israel was. When we want to feel good about ourselves, we'll often compare our strengths to others' weaknesses. When we're feeling sorry for ourselves, we'll compare our weaknesses to others' strengths. But seldom do we get the comparison right. Typically, when we make a comparison, it's just to make a point to ourselves, to rationalize or justify our way of thinking about what we want. Rather than comparing our lives to others, we should compare our circumstance to what God has called us to and look for ways to deal with that that please and honor Him. We've mentioned the Apostle Paul several times, and in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, He wrote, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We can't make ourselves like the world. Our job is not to assimilate. Our job is to compare our circumstance to the Word of God so that we can understand what is good and acceptable and perfect and live that out so that we get the most of this life and allow God to prepare us for eternity with him. Ultimately, what all this means is that we have to let God have control. The things we try to add to God's provision can gain control of every aspect of our lives. And when something else has control, God becomes displaced as king, just as Israel has displaced God as king in the life of their nation. God did grant their request. He gave them a king. He told them there would be a time when he would allow it. But because they're not willing to use that king for his purposes, they only wanted to use it for theirs, they end up experiencing calamity. Part of the secret of being content is realizing that all the blessings that God has given us have been given to us for his purposes, not ours. And in living that out, we find fulfillment and satisfaction. When the Lord allows us to get what we want— Do we use it for his purposes? Are we eager to learn the secret of being content? Do we strive for godliness? Or do we just look to manipulate God to get what we want? Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.